If you've looked at a calendar, perhaps you've noticed that today is, is called Ash Wednesday. And you might be thinking, what is Ash Wednesday? Because I, I would just kind of uh, say that many of you, like myself, you know, we didn't really grow up uh, in a family that, that uh, uh, observed Ash Wednesday. But, you know, maybe we've heard a little bit about it and don't really know. And I don't know, as a kid at least, I, if, if ever I heard that, I was just like, I don't know what that's about. And it just sounded weird to me. But... I think it's actually worth our, our time because it's something that doesn't necessarily come from the Bible, but it is guided by a lot of the thoughts in the Bible. It is something that just comes from tradition. It's just something that uh, uh, that, that really people have done. Uh, it's a tradition that dates back for several centuries. Um, so for hundreds of years, um, people have used this day as an opportunity to uh, think about a few things. Now, it might be kind of a little different depending on who you ask of what the meaning behind it is. But for the most part, the meaning behind Ash Wednesday and why it is chosen for right now is it's set up to kind of prepare us for the day of, of Easter. You know, with the idea that Easter is the day, and it pretty much is kind of around that time of year, that Jesus raised up from the dead. So with that in mind, they backed it up 40 days or so, give or take a little bit, they have their own little formulas, but that's how we get on a Wednesday and how we start this on a Wednesday. So you back it up to a Wednesday, and it's 40 days before Easter. And during that time, uh, they, they use this as a start of uh, preparing our minds for what Jesus did on Easter. Basically, this time is what some people uh, refer to it as a season of, of Lent. Once again, all of these things are, are traditions, but I think they can teach us something. And uh, what we see about Ash Wednesday is one of the main things, uh, the, one of the main focus is on uh, this ash that is that is used right there. And the ash is, is uh, connected with um, kind of we read in the Bible, maybe sackcloth and ashes whenever people are uh, repenting or if they're mourning or something like that. So this is a day that is supposed to be a time that we think about um, our own sins, repent of our sins. Now, obviously, any day can be a good day for that, but it's definitely in light of Jesus um, being crucified and then also rising from the dead, it's important to, to keep in mind, why did he do that? He did that because of our sins. We need to be people who constantly examine ourselves, make sure that we do repent of our sins. And another thing um, that is connected with Ash Wednesday is it's a day to just be reminded that we are humans and what it means about kind of our you know mortality and just that we are going to, um, you know, our life on this planet is going to end at some point. So what do we do about the time that we have been given? What do we do about the blessings that we have been given, this life? And all of this is wrapped up in this day that is labeled on our calendar as Ash Wednesday. Now, there's also a bunch of uh, biblical texts that are connected with this day. And I want us to look at Quite a few of them, actually. Um, we're we're going to uh, look at a handful of these texts that have been connected with this day. And uh, I'm going to just kind of read them largely uh, and give you a few thoughts along the, the lines about these texts and maybe some different things that we can think about uh, that maybe will will be on our minds for the next uh, 40 or so days as we maybe think about, uh, again, what Jesus has done for us on the cross and what that uh, Easter Sunday, him rising from the dead, the significance of that event. So let's take a look at some of these texts that are connected. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll list these texts. We're going to be looking at Joel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 58. 
we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, and then Matthew chapter 6. We're not going to look at the whole chapter of each one of these things, but we're going to be looking at some select verses that have traditionally, you know, historically been connected with this day in hopes of, of better appreciating um, what happens on this day and really kind of just better appreciating the sense of that we are humans, that we are dependent upon God, and we need to always rely upon God, always trust in Him in everything that we do. So let's take a look at the first text together. The first text is Joel chapter 2. It is verses 1 and 2, and then we skip on down to verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read these uh, as a single text. Joel chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in times and ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? So this passage is uh, largely, uh, as well as you know, each one of these other passages, uh, I've kind of put some on the screen here in maybe bold or underlined uh, that will kind of focus some of the, the thoughts and some of the comments that I want to make uh, as we look at this and maybe... Um, kind of what's at the heart of each one of these passages. I also want to go ahead and say this uh, toward the beginning that, you know, I'm not saying that we need to to observe Ash Wednesday necessarily. I'm not really saying that. I'm not speaking uh, for it or against it. I just think it is uh, a good thing to recognize this tradition and to maybe pay attention to it. Uh, one thing that is connected with this season and the start of this day is that many people have chosen to fast from something. That's why some of these passages will mention things about fasting, like in verse 12. Um, the call is coming from the Lord to return to him with all of our heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. You know, all of these things are kind of uh, outward shows of what is going on inwardly and how we need to inwardly return to the Lord to submit to him. And these are different things that have been done uh, throughout times and most certainly are part of what we see in the Old Testament um, of how people, when they return to the Lord, uh, what they do and, and you know what that kind of looks like. Many times it is fasting and weeping and mourning and these things connected together. So they are shown in this passage. This passage is all about the need to return to the Lord. Uh, it, of course, by the beginning of this, is mentioning how there is a day of the Lord that is coming. And we are all called to make sure that we return uh, to the Lord, uh, make sure that everything is just in order, the way that it should be. 
And it is also a reminder in verse 13 of the Lord our God, the one that we serve. He is a gracious and a compassionate God. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. You know, sometimes people have it in their uh, their minds that God is always just kind of waiting for us to do wrong so that he can strike us with a lightning bolt. That's not the God that we read about in the Bible. The God that we read about in the Bible is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. However, while all of those things are true, the Lord does correct people. He does bring us back and he does uh, allow some things to happen to us from time to time. We see that he has done that throughout the page of the Old Testament to the people of Israel to get them back on track. That's why this passage, the ministry of Joel, was to return to the Lord. Uh, that's most certainly uh, worth uh, worthy of us meditating upon, about making sure that we uh, are fully trusting in the Lord in all that we do. So Joel 2 uh, has been historically connected to this day to prepare us with returning to the Lord. Let's turn to another uh, one of the prophets, this time the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12, you'll notice it's similar to the other passage, but there's also some differences. This passage, especially starting in verse 6, will tell us about the type of fasting uh, that the Lord wants. I've already mentioned Ash Wednesday is many times kind of the start of whenever people uh, choose to fast from something. Well, this gives us an idea of what fasting is really all about, uh, because many times Christians today aren't always very familiar with the practice of fasting, kind of what's the purpose behind it and all. This passage tells us the type of fasting uh, that is pleasing to God, the type of fasting that he wants. Basically, uh, fasting is just refraining from something. Usually it's uh, food or maybe some types of food. Uh, different people do it different ways. Uh, but we will see in this passage uh, the purpose behind fasting. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and not have seen it, uh, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for uh, lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So the first five verses questioning, you know, look, that they're looking out to God and they're saying, look, we've done these things, you know, we've, we've, we've shown uh, to you, you know, uh, that we are submitting ourselves, but, you know, why are you not paying attention? And God says, you've not submitted yourselves. Look at the type of fasting that you were that you are involved in. It's not the type of fasting that God wants. Verse 6 through 12 now. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? God speaking. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? 
when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, uh, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always; He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. So God draws their attention and recognizes that, yes, you maybe have been fasting. Maybe you've called it a fast for what you're doing. But he says it's not the type of fast that he's asked for. The type of fast that God wants is one that is connected in verses 6 through following. It's connected with taking notice of injustice that happens in the world, untying the cords of, of yoke, setting the oppressed free, breaking every yoke. Now, think about that. If our fasting were to look like that, we would pay attention to injustices. We'd pay attention to uh, different oppression that takes place. Verse 7, he also says about sharing your food with the hungry. You know, don't just fast for the sake of fasting, but share your food that you would have had with those people who actually need it. Provide the poor people, the poor uh, person who doesn't have shelter. Provide them with shelter. Someone who doesn't have clothes, clothe them. And that's what God is saying. Actually do something about it. Don't just make it, you know, for outward show and just look like you're doing something. Actually do something about it. Then he says in verse 8, and also he kind of repeats in uh, later on, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Even in the Old Testament, he was wanting um, his people to reflect the light of God. But we have to do it by not just merely you know, looking like we're doing the right thing, but actually doing the right thing. So that's the focus here in Isaiah 58. Uh, don't just participate in Ash Wednesday or, or any fast or any day like that, uh, just you know, for the sake of looking like you're doing the right thing. If you're going to participate in something, actually fully be engaged in it. Actually do the things that God wants you to do. If you want to take this day to recognize your own mortality, your own reliance upon God, then, then do that. Don't do it just for show, but do it so that you will actually grow closer to God and actually learn uh, about uh, submitting to him and being faithful to him. So we've looked at Joel 2. We've looked at Isaiah 58. Now let's take a look at the Psalms. We've uh, seen from the prophets, now from the Psalms. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. This is probably a very uh, famous uh, passage. Uh, and another thing that it would be famous for is verse 10 that says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Uh, you likely even know a song that is, most of its lyrics are pretty well taken uh, from this uh, psalm right here. It's a song that we might even sing sometimes. Uh, at church, but it comes back to Psalm 51 right here, verses 1 through 17. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin 
is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So this psalm makes special notice, special attention uh, of, of the psalmist's sin. Um, historically speaking, this psalm is connected with David. Uh, and especially connected with his sin with Bathsheba. In fact, sometimes you will even see a little introduction about this psalm that is connected uh, with that. Um, it would most certainly make sense as to why he's saying these things. Um, his sin is definitely before him. Um, it's something that he needs to deal with, and he needs to deal with it by bringing it to God. That's also what we need to do with our own sins. We need to bring um, our sins, our, our injustices, before God and recognize he is the one who... He is the only one who can cleanse us. He is the one who can make us clean. He is the one who can make us whiter than snow. We see in verse 10 that statement about creating me a pure heart, O God. God is the only one who can do that. Um, and after we ourselves have received a pure heart, then, like when verse 13 says, um, only after we have been cleansed, after we have been helped by God, after we have been saved by God, delivered from our sins, then, verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. After we have taken care of ourselves by coming to God, then we need to be able to teach other people about turning to the Lord as well. And the Lord is the one who will open our lips, open our mouths, and allow us to praise him, allow us to draw more people to him. So, those are the Old Testament passages that are connected with today, with this day. But there's also some New Testament passages, uh, you know, obviously, that would be connected with today and important of thinking about um, what Jesus did for us on the cross. To that, we turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the last part of chapter 5, going into chapter 6. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 20, and I'm going to continue reading on down to uh, verse 10 of chapter 6. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. 
I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So Paul here is, is speaking about really uh, the type of ministry that all of us um, can relate with, that we can understand, that we need to, uh, to recognize what God has done for us to make us who we are in the first place. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. See, that's the purpose of what Christ did on the cross. Christ did not have any sins in and of himself, but God set it up. It was part of his plan to allow Jesus, the one who did not commit any sin, to be our sin, to, to become our sin. It, it, there's so much depth of what happened with Jesus on the cross that I think many times we, we often don't really understand the depth of it all, but that's okay. We can still um, see what Jesus has done and be grateful and thankful for him. Uh, but it definitely cost Jesus dearly. I mean, it cost him his whole life, but it, it cost him, I believe, even kind of a little bit more than just um, his, his physical life. It, it cost him more than that. Because he became our sin. What was the reason for it? So that in him, and only in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This was all part of God's plan. So because of these things, like what the next chapter goes on in verse 2 to state, he says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now we need to do something about it. He also goes on in verse 3, talking about that uh, his ministry would not be discredited because he wasn't putting a stumbling block in anyone's way but to recognize that he is a servant of God. Uh, that's what verse four goes on to say. Those are great things for us to keep in mind with our own ministries today as well. We don't need to be putting stumbling blocks in people's ways. We don't need to be dis doing anything to discredit our own ministries. We need to recognize we are a servant of God. We have received salvation only because this is all part of God's plan to make the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would can become the righteousness of God. And now, finally, there's one more passage for us to take a look at, and it's from the mouth of Jesus himself, specifically the Sermon on the Cross in, uh, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, it's verses 1 through 6, and then skipping on down verses 16 through 21. Jesus said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, 
for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So these things that are that are mentioned right here, is it's all a warning uh, about how we approach God and with what type of uh, with what type of heart we approach God. We don't need to be giving to the needy or praying just so that people will notice us and say, "Oh, well, that person is so great; they're so close to God." That's not the purpose. We do these things um, for our heavenly Father and to our heavenly Father. Um, he He knows. He always knows what's done in secret. He will reward us. We don't need to, to worry about whether or not we're going to get our reward. God is aware of what is going on. Um, people don't have to be, but God is always going to be aware. So we need to be careful in how we kind of practice our religion, so to speak, in how we, we do these things. Um, don't try to draw undue attention to all these things. Sometimes attention might be drawn to us, and you know that can be, you know, it, well... Those things, they are exactly what they are. Uh, sometimes we can't always help it, but we don't need to be blowing a trumpet to make sure people will look at us to be able to see how great of a person we are. No, we need to uh, do these things that God wants us to do because we need because we are seeking to be pleasing to Him and that we are doing these things in honor uh, of Him. Also in verse uh, 16, it picks up another thing. It's not just about uh, giving to the needy and also praying, but whenever you fast. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he specifically says in this sermon that whenever you give, whenever you pray, whenever you fast, don't do it just so other people will notice you. Do it to be pleasing to God. Always in what we do, we need to be um, people who strive to be pleasing to God do these things because God wants us to do them, uh, because they are, are the right thing to do. Um, that is the whole purpose behind all of what we need to be uh, doing. He also gives us this, this statement in verses uh, 19 through 21, not to store up treasures here on earth. You know, Where is our focus going to be? Our focus needs to be lifted up, and we need to be thinking about um, storing up treasures in heaven so to speak, uh, thinking and putting our efforts forth in, in things that can't be destroyed here on earth because they're, they're not things of this earth. These are the things of God, the things of heaven. So wherever our treasure is, there our heart is going to be also. So now is a wonderful day, as is any day, but now is a wonderful day for us to examine where is our treasure? Where is our heart? Jesus says that wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Examine ourselves. Use this day or any day to examine ourselves, recognize the sins that we have committed, bring them to God and, and understand He is the only one 
who can cleanse us from our sins. And he has done so through what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus became our sin so that we can be the righteousness of God. Wherever our treasure is, our heart will be also. These are a few, a few thoughts to guide us today. Uh, and, you know, in the upcoming weeks, if we so uh, choose to do that, uh, that, will, that will guide us and recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross, to always be reminded of it. Most certainly, uh, we, we can be reminded of that on a daily basis uh, because Jesus did all of those things for us. He, he lived his life and asked us to, to follow him in all that we do.